Colorado's Chance, The Firewalker, by Jason Van Tatenhoek. Chapter 2 The wheel bar was nestled in an old building between the main drag of Estes Park and the pedestrian path known as the Riverwalk. Streets usually bustling with the close to 5 million annual visitors to Estes Park were now more reminiscent of a ghost town. Chance wondered if this modern boomtown would go bust in the tradition of many other small Colorado mountain towns, with the loss of tourists due to the pandemic. He parked his motorcycle in the lot behind the wheel, just on the other side of the river. For a moment, he paused while crossing the arched footbridge that connected the lot to the river walk, and stared at the river that was beginning to swell with spring runoff. He spat into the river, took in a deep breath of chilled air, and walked over to the back patio entrance of the bar. As with every other business in town, the wheel had been shut down when the governor enacted the state's safer-at-home lockdown. But the bar was always working behind the scenes to help locals. Today, they served up free lunches for those who could come and pick them up from the back patio. With his red bandana pulled up around his face as he looked into the back windows and waved to a younger blonde woman hair highlighted starkly with black and red streaks that framed her green eyes. Jenny Ann Bob was a force of nature unto herself. As she walked over to let him in, he looked across the window to the happy birthday posters made with printer paper and markers the staff had taped to the back windows, each decorated with a local's name that would have celebrated their birthday at the bar. One of the posters on the top row held his name. As his old friend and one-time lover opened the door, she flashed that smile that punched Chance right in the gut. Hey, sugar tits, you know the bar's officially closed, right? She called. But if you're here for the corned beef, I think I have a few left in back, but it's going to be cold. Nope. Actually, I have a favor to ask. I was hoping you could work your magic and see what you can find out on a local kid that went missing a few weeks ago. One of the J-1s that was working up at the summit. His name's Toki. Wait, that young pretty kid? Thick accent, kind of hard to understand when he gets drunk. But a hottie? I mean, for a youngster. Jenny said with that devilish grin that she gets right before she jumps headlong into trouble. Why? What? What's going on? Is he in trouble? Chance took a deep breath and sighed before answering. Well, apparently he was in some trouble. The bad kind. They found his body over in Aspen. Oh my god. What What the fuck? Jenny already had a hint of tears. I'm going to go find out what happened to him and make sure he gets his fair share of justice. But I need to figure out his story before I can tell it to the world. That's where you come in. I need you to find out what you can about what he was up to just before the lockdown. Who he was hanging out with what his bad habits were, whose bed he was in. Yeah, I'll see what I can find out. How do you wind up in Aspen? No idea, but I'm heading to Aspen for a few days to check out where they found him and talk to a source. I'll get in touch when I get back into town. Oh, how are things going with your ex? Yeah, well, you know, we're working on things. Some days are better than others. Okay, well, at least say hi to your rug monkey for me. I love that crazy kid of yours. The roar of Chance's 96 Road King echoed off the twisting canyons of Highway 36 as he headed down to Denver and then up the I-70 corridor. 
In his entire life, he had never seen the roads of Colorado so empty. It felt as if he was in some post-apocalyptic B-movie. But this movie was happening. Chance tried not to think of the future ramifications this pandemic would bring. Instead, he focused on his work. One of Chance's primary motivations for being a writer was to give voice to those in his community who were never allowed to have their own. There were only a couple of big rig trucks that Chance saw on I-70 before turning off the highway onto Highway 24, going up through Leadville and Twin Lakes. After turning off the main highway, the only other travelers he ran into was a large bull moose drinking out of a pond on the side of the road. Independence Pass is one of the most dramatic mountain vistas that Chance had ever seen. It made him question his place in the universe as he drove up it. Up this high, there was still snow piled along the sides of the road. That, along with the leftover sand, made him slow down as he made his way through the switchbacks. He made it over the pass safely, and the snowbanks quickly dissipated as he dropped rapidly in elevation. As he came to the lower narrows, where the traffic has to share a single lane of the road, a treacherous road even in the best of summer weather, he first saw the flashing lights of the police roadblock. As he approached the vehicles, a sheriff's deputy waved him down in a fluorescent orange vest. Whoa there! You know you're not supposed to be out and traveling right now. It's restricted to only those people who have essential work. The deputy looked him up and down regarding the post-punk rock throwback with obvious disdain. And to be honest with you, you don't look like you do anything all that essential, partner. Chance couldn't help but to smirk. Well, I guess it depends on what you'd call essential now, wouldn't it? I know you cop types would prefer that we didn't have so much freedom of the press or those pesky constitutional amendments, but we do. Pulling out his press credentials on a lanyard that he always kept in his inside jacket pocket next to a small journalist's notebook. So, I'm here to cover the story of the body you guys found earlier. What can you tell me? Oh, wait here. I need to get Lieutenant O'Brien. After looking closely at his ID card and essential worker paperwork, the officer shuffled over to a white, green, and yellow Ford SUV from the Pitkin County Sheriff's Department. A window rolled down, and after a brief exchange with the deputy, an attractive red-headed woman in her mid-forties got out and headed over to Chance, who was now leaning up against his motorcycle, arms crossed. Nice Elvis glasses, she said as she walked up. What can I do for you, Mr. Van Horn? Chance pulled out his notebook and pen. Well, I understand that one of our missing locals from Estes Park has turned up here. Can I get a statement from you, Miss O'Brien, is it? Detective O'Brien, maybe? She slid her mirrored aviator glasses down to the bridge of her nose. Her green eyes flashed. Mr. Van Horn, I think you know as well as I do that this is an active investigation and that I am not able to release any official statement until it has gone through the public information officer. And it's Detective Shannon O'Brien. A grin appeared on Chance's face as he lowered his cheap gold Elvis glasses. Oh, yeah, that's right. Well... How about something off the record? Look, this is all I'll say. I worked the summer before I went into the academy in Estes Park in their police services internship program. Oh, you were one of those cute crossing guards they bring in for tourist season, he smugly interrupted. Yes, I was. And I know what a bitch it can be doing seasonal work. A lot of the friends I made were international. 
So this case hits close to home for me. It's one of the J1s from over in your neck of the woods. But you didn't hear that from me. The other thing I can tell you is, you got to leave the area. This is not a safe road to be hanging out on. And I can't have your reporter types just lurking around my crime scene. But what I will do is not make you drive back around I-70. Deputy, let this one through the roadblock, but please escort him into town and make sure he doesn't get lost along the way. Aw, you don't have to do that, but thanks. And if you think of anything else you'd like to discuss, here's my card. Has my email and cell on it. Hey, isn't this right near the cliff diving place the locals call the Devil's Punch Bowl? I have no comment on that at this time. Have a good day, Mr. Van Horn. Chance winked at the detective as she turned away and gave an exasperated sigh and half-hearted chuckle, then returned to her SUV, shaking her head. After they waved Chance through the roadblock, the deputy assigned to escort duty followed him into Aspen city limits, then peeled off from behind him, turned around and headed back up towards the crime scene. Chance's phone came back to life after having no service most of the ride up. He checked his digital itinerary for the directions to where he was staying then made his way to the Snow Queen's loft. He parked his bike in front of the old Victorian-style mansion that had been converted to a bed and breakfast. It had been a long day's ride, but he was professional. He knew that he would need to find a way back to the Devil's Punch Bowl before it got too dark. Chapter 3 Chance found a folded half-piece of paper with his name written in marker taped to the front door. The note informed him that he was a contactless check-in, and his room was the first door opposite the entrance. It also gave him the Wi-Fi password. After getting into his room, Chance threw his red messenger bag on the bed, relieved himself, and proceeded to call his publisher. Hey, you Jack. Just got in. So who is this contact of yours, and where can I find them? So we need to talk a little first, and I just got a complaint, and not the first about some of your tactics and getting information from some of your sources. Ms. Danaby, who works over in Town Records, she's quite heartbroken about you. Did you really ghost her? Hey, now, Jack, I cannot help it if someone makes aggressive passes at me while trying to pass me information on corruption. We met at the bar, and she bought all the drinks, and then... When I made sure she got home safely, she drugged me into her place. If anything, I should be the one filing a complaint. Uh Uh-huh. I might believe that story if it were, say, the first or third time I've heard a similar one. But it's not. Can you please try and write this story without fucking everyone in Aspen? Jack, you know I cannot, in good faith, make any such promises. But I will try my best. If you weren't as good as you are, I would have let you go a long time ago. You mean, if you had anybody else that would put up with all your shit at this rag of a paper, but you don't. So here we are. So who's the source and how would I get a hold of them? Okay, I didn't want to tell you this before because I know you're a fan of this guy's father's work and would get all fanboy about it. But it's Thomas Huntington, the political writer of the late 60s. Son, John Huntington. A huge childlike grin came over Chance as he processed this information. This was Chance's all time favorite nonfiction author who almost won the 72 election in Aspen for sheriff and was a political correspondent for Rolling Stone. 
One of Chance's biggest regrets in life was not socially engineering a way to meet him. He started bouncing on the bed like a hopped-up teenager before their first concert. Jack sighed. But Chance, listen, his son, somewhat damaged since his father shot himself. He was in the house when it happened, and it fucked him up. He hit the bottle in ways that would put your drinking habits to shame. He also may not be completely sane. The word is that he talks to his dad a lot, like he's haunted. So see what actual usable real information you can get from him, but take it all with a grain of salt. You should be able to find him pretty much any time, day or night, at the Woody Creek Tavern, the local bar his father did most of his heavy drinking at when he was alive. Some rich movie star bought it for his son after the funeral. He has an apartment on the second floor, so he never really leaves much. He said for you to swing by there. Okay, I'm on it. Not everyone in Aspen was a Hollywood movie mogul or Fortune 500 CEO. The real locals of Aspen lived on the outskirts. The Woody Creek Tavern was about four miles out of town and next to a trailer park. This was the working class heart of Aspen, where the people that worked the ski resorts, bars, restaurants, and hotels lived and spent their hard-earned time off. By the time Chance had ridden out to the tavern, the sun had fallen behind the mountains, dropping the temperature to where Chance could begin to see his breath as he swung his leg over the saddle of his motorcycle. The parking lot to the tavern and the streets were empty, save for Chance's Harley and a beat-up red Cadillac convertible parked in at the far edge of the parking lot. Chance strode up to the front door to find a weathered, handwritten note taped to the front. It said, Stay out, you animals. The state has shut us down due to COVID. I have no alcohol for you unwashed bastards. This brought a crooked grin to Chance as he pressed his hand against the glass to block out the glare from the quickly diminishing sunset and peered in. The bar was mostly dark, save for a light at the bar's back corner, above a tucked-away table. There was a half-empty drink on the table, along with a book and an ashtray with a still-smoking cigarette. The muffled sound of a cure song could be heard through the windows, but there was no one to be seen. Chance knocked on the window pane out the front door to no avail. He walked around the side of the bar, through the parking lot, and headed towards the convertible. As he got closer, he noticed the green Colorado license plate read Gonzo. He knocked on the back door. But again, there was no answer. He tried the doorknob and found that it was unlocked. He gently opened the door while listening for anyone inside. Hello? Anyone there? I'm Chance Van Horn, the reporter with the Sidewinder. As he stepped into the back kitchen, he could barely hear a man yelling over the lyrics of Never Enough. On one of the back stainless steel prep tables of the kitchen, he saw a mesh bag of grapefruits and a cutting board with the juice and seeds of one of the said grapefruits. He made his way through the kitchen, back bar, and found himself in the dining area. At the table in the back corner of the restaurant sat a middle-aged balding man in a plain button-up white shirt, busy eating a halved grapefruit and sipping off a half-filled tumbler, busy reading a paperback book and muttering incomprehensibly to himself. The scene may have seemed pretty commonplace a chance were it not for the enormous shiny chrome revolver laying out on the table next to his plate of grapefruit. Yeah, but listen, Pops, why would the Red Lodge be operating here in Fat City? They were run off years ago. 
paused as he spoke to himself, as if listening to the response of some unseen person sitting across the table from him. Something else caught Chance's attention. The still-smoking cigarette in the ashtray not only had a long filter tip it was attached to, but the ashtray was pushed across the table and positioned as if for someone sitting opposite the reading man. Hesitantly, Chance mustered the courage to announce his presence in a way that would not get him shot. Hello, I come in peace. The balding man jumped as he realized that he was not alone, sending his plate of grapefruit sliding across the table and crashing to the floor. He scrambled to get a hold of the pistol and shakily leveled the massive barrel of the hand cannon straight at Chance's head. Whoa! Chance put up his hands out in front of him, showing that he meant no trouble. I'm the reporter from Estes. You talked to my publisher earlier and told him to have me stop by. I tried knocking on the front door, but I didn't see you and went around back to see if I could find you. Oh, okay. Well, shit, sorry, man. It's been a crazy world these days. Looking intensely suspicious at Chance, he seemed to remember that he was indeed supposed to meet with a reporter. The man put the revolver back down on the table and assessed the mess he had made. Give me a minute to clean this mess up. We can sit down and talk. You want something to eat? Grapefruit, maybe? The kitchen is closed, but I can pour you a drink if you want. Yeah, I'd love one, Chance said shakily. Vodka soda, double tall, lime, please. The man picked up the gun, slid it into the back of his pants, and disappeared into the back kitchen behind the bar, leaving Chance on his own. Chance took a moment to take in the bar. There were the long horns of a bull mounted to one of the walls. Pretty much all of the space around the booth and the table the man had been sitting in was filled with framed photos of the now-deceased Thomas Huntington with various world-renowned celebrities, including Mick Jagger, Jim Belushi, Bill Murray, and even one of the Kennedys. All of the pictures seemed to have been taken in the bar itself or various locations in the mountains that Chance assumed were all in the area. He then turned and examined the still-smoking cigarette. He reached to pick it up from the glass ashtray, but just as he was about to, he thought he saw a ring of smoke that appeared out of thin air, as if some invisible person sitting at the booth had blown it at his face. Suddenly the music skipped with a loud scratch and switched to the middle of the Rolling Stones' painted black. As Chance looked over at the jukebox, the man returned with a pint glass of vodka and a wet bar rag. He began wiping up the spilled mess. Here you go. Pops told me I need to tell you a few things. Have a seat and take a drink. This is going to sound crazy. Chapter 4 Chance began to throw his leg around the seat of his bike, but stopped himself, remembering that it would get cold towards Independence Pass. He pulled out a red hoodie and a big pair of black leather gloves. He then turned the petcock that fed the gas to his engine and flipped the choke up on his S&S air intake on the other side of the bike. Okay, you cold-hearted bitch, start for me. I don't need any of your sass tonight, he said to his bike. Turning the ignition on the center panel of his gas tank, he thumbed the electric start, and after a few seconds of whining, the engine thundered to life. A group of three people was sitting around a makeshift fire pit in the back of one of the trailers across the empty parking lot from the tavern. They whooped and raised their beer bottles to chance as he tore out of the parking lot his eyes already beginning to tear up behind the glasses from the rush of icy winds, his three headlights revealing the trees and road in a bright yellow glow. 
Chance had his wireless headphones in to hear the familiar female voice of his GPS giving him directions to the spot that Jack had shown him on his cell phone. It was a 30-minute ride, and once he got up in elevation, the air warmed a bit. The last two miles had turned into winding dirt roads, but they were not too rutted, and he was able to navigate his heavy Harley through them well enough by taking it slow. The last half mile got into terrain that he just was not comfortable with. He found an empty campsite right off the road where he could back his bike into and park. He would be hiking the rest of the way in. Chance went into one of his side bags and pulled out his red messenger bag. He made sure his Canon T3i Rebel 35mm digital camera was there along with the batteries and memory card. He also pulled out his Springfield XD9 subcompact handgun and its shoulder holster. Chance always brought it on trips out of town but loathed carrying it. He always felt that having a gun on him would invite trouble to already bad situations. He had his concealed carry permit, so it was legal for him to carry, but he rarely did. He put on his leather jacket after pulling on a black leather holster on the top of his hoodie. He ran his finger along the top back of the gun, checking the indicator that the round was chambered. Chance then retrieved a small black LED flashlight from his side bag and clicked it on before shutting off the headlights to his bike. The flashlight illuminated his small slice of the world with an electric blue-white light. Okay, good to go, he said to himself as he swung his messenger bag over his shoulder and started hiking at a brisk pace heading further down the dirt road. I needed the exercise anyway, he said under his breath. It took Chance another 30 minutes to make it down to the banks of the Roaring Fork River, which fed down to the waterfall, a natural bowl known to locals as the Devil's Punch Bowl. While making the trek down, Chance ran over all the small mountain town rumors he had heard about the spot as a teenager growing up in the Rocky Mountains of Colorado. It was a place where mountain kids could go out and party. It was also a place that seemed to have claimed a few unfortunate souls each year. Usually they were a little too drunk to be cliff diving into such deep waters of the bowl. Local rumors also whispered it was a place Satanists used. But every small mountain town seemed to have haunted places, so he never really gave those stories much credence. The night had grown dark as if the moon and stars had utterly left the night sky, reducing the entirety of Chance's existence into a small circular world that threw long shadows off the trees. The wind of an oncoming spring storm was just beginning to blow in. Chance found the riverbanks, but could not locate where it flowed off into the bowl itself. Fuck, that crazy bastard forgot to mention that the bowl flows off the other side of the river. Looks like it's going to be an even colder and wetter ride home than I thought, Chance complained to himself. He scanned the banks for some impromptu bridge. The best he found was a fallen tree that made it about a third of the way across the river, but led to some larger, drier stones in the water that he may be able to use to cross over. After adjusting his messenger bag tighter and appreciating that he still wore red van high tops, not some more sensible adult shoes. Chance started across the log, his arms out like a tightrope walker. It was pretty easy going at first, but the tree narrowed dramatically as he got closer to the boulders. He realized that he would have to try and jump the remaining three feet or so. He took in a deep breath and leapt. Holy shit, I made it, he thought as he steadied himself on the slick boulder he landed on. 
Suddenly, he heard voices from the bank he was heading towards and saw a group of people dragging something, heading his way. He tried to crouch down, fumbling with his flashlight, trying to turn it off before anyone noticed the light when he slipped on the boulder and fell backwards, first onto the rock and then somersaulting off into the part of the river he had just jumped over. The sound of him splashing into the river caught the attention of the group. Four flashlights immediately began sweeping across the river from the banks to where a chance had fallen. Luckily, he had fallen into waist-deep water, and the large boulder stood between him and those searching for what had made the sound. His flashlight had fallen into the water where chance huddled down. He instinctively stomped his foot over the light to keep it from being a visual beacon and kept as still as he could while trying to force himself to breathe. However, the shock of the ice-cold water made it extremely difficult. From his vantage point behind the rock, he could see five individuals, four of whom were wearing headlamps strapped to their foreheads. They were coming from a path that veered off the river. Over the sounds of the river, it was hard to make out most of their conversation. Chance was able to make out some of it as they came closer. I heard something splashing in the river said a man's voice. It was probably just a bear, another answered. Look, let's just get back. I need to wash this blood off. We have an early start in the morning. The cold was making Chance begin to shiver and shake. He quickly began to feel the shaking grow into uncontrollable convulsions as he hugged his arms around his chest while crouched down behind the stone that hid him from the onlookers. He stayed there waiting for the group's sounds and lights to fade away down a footpath towards the highway. When they had been gone for a few minutes, he moved his foot and reached his hand into the ice-cold water. It wasn't easy to close his hand around the still-lit flashlight, but through force of will, he forced his hand to do what he wanted. Chance gave up using the rocks and just waded waist-deep through the rest of the river and fell over as he got to shore. Relieved to be out of the flow of the ice water that had just days previously been snow on the peaks above him, the realization came over him that he would need to move fast to warm up and that the fog of shock had already begun to creep into his mind. He remembered the words of his brother, who worked on a search and rescue team along the Canadian border in Montana. There are far more cases of hypothermic deaths in spring and fall than there are in winter. Uh, okay, you c c can do this, Chance chattered to himself in between rhythmic, shivering bouts. He crawled a few feet further onto the bank and struggled to strip his messenger bag over his shoulder. It was still mostly dry as he had somersaulted over his back and landed feet first in the river. Dear gods, please still be dry. He ripped open his bag, already having lost a good portion of his fine motor function. He always had a couple of long, narrow steno pads that journalists used for taking notes in the inside chest pocket of his jacket. He also always had a small bag containing rolling papers, a glass pot pipe, and a stash of marijuana along with a lighter. Then he picked up his flashlight and looked for some small sticks, which was, as luck would have it, in abundance. He raised his feet and walked a few steps to gather some larger driftwood sticks and broke them down made a small teepee-like structure and placed some of the wadded-up notebook paper beneath it. He lamented the loss of an unknown portion of his notes, but only for a moment. He wiped his hand against the bandana tied around his neck, finding a dry spot to dry his thumb before attempting to flick his black Bic lighter. Please, gods, 
He flicked the round top of the lighter. Nothing. Shit, shit, shit. Please. He tried again. The flame jumped to life. Yes. Thank you. He shakily brought the lighter to the crumpled up mass of pages inside the wooden teepee, and it caught. He gently blew on the flames, coaxing them to grow. Once the wood began to crackle and he had warmed some of the numbness out of his hands, he went on a short hike to gather more wood. Chance had built the small fire into a good, roaring campfire and had stripped down naked and was sitting cross-legged on his red messenger bag, huddled as close as he could to the flames. With his leather jacket around his shoulders, the bottom of it was still damp. Still, it worked better at trapping the heat of the fire than nothing. The shivering had subsided from convulsions to short spasms of shaking. Still in survival mode and ahead in a fog, Chance caught a whiff of cigarette smoke and swore that he saw what looked like an exhale of cigarette smoke blowing from over his shoulder into the light of the fire. Hey, Rube, you need to get your ass up and go look at what those guys were doing. Chance was sure he heard a male voice whispering, and he jumped up wearing his jacket and nothing else. Who's there? It was then that Detective Shannon O'Brien walked out of the dark, hand on our holstered sidearm. Well, Mr. Van Horn, your outfits just keep getting better and better.